0: Welcome to the Forward Healing Project. This is a weekly podcast where we acknowledge the challenges and grief experienced with infertility and miscarriage. Through honest and real talk, we will share stories, explore emotions, and seek healing by reclaiming, redefining, and renewing what it means to heal a hopeful heart. Welcome to the Forward Healing Project podcast. I'm your host, Whitney Allen. I am humbled and honored to be a part of your journey, and grateful that you are a part of mine. I want to stress that I am not an expert in infertility treatments or miscarriage. I'm just a woman who went through hell and back and learned a lot, and wants to help others. I did my best to provide accurate information for this episode, and I was not able to cover everything. But this episode is a 101 on infertility and miscarriage, so. My sincere apologies if I left anything out of what might be considered a 101 education on these topics. Part of my mission for Healing Hopeful Hearts, which is the ministry I run at the Cathedral of Christ the King for people struggling with infertility and miscarriage, is to provide education and resources. And as part of that mission, I've had the opportunity to address the engaged couples at the Cathedral of Christ the King who are going through marriage par- classes. shout out to Micah and Allison Johnson who invite me to do these talks and have been champions for me in this effort. But these talks are a double-edged sword as I get to share insights about infertility and miscarriage to couples as a way to educate them about the realities of conceiving. But it's also a little bit more than awkward and I'm basically coming into a room of people who aren't even married yet and telling them some difficult truths about an uncomfortable topic. But my goal in these talks is to provide people with some education about the realities around what they can manage um, from expectations, but also to encourage couples to have some baseline conversations regarding their limits. And by limits, I mean talking about if they're on the same page regarding treatment, expenses, adoption, physical and emotional limitations. In this episode, I want to share... Some of the information that I share with these couples and a few other facts that we often don't know or even realize. And my hope is to provide an episode that you can learn from and share with others. This episode is going to be a bit on the technical side, but we're all adults here, and I think it's important information for people to know. This episode can be helpful when managing expectations, and if you're ministering to couples, it can also be helpful to know the lingo. This is gonna be a little bit different, but the education around miscarriage and infertility is something that I am passionate about. People often don't know a lot of this information. It's shocking how little we know about our own bodies. For starters, did you know that the average normal cycle of a healthy couple under the age of 35 has a mere 20% chance for conception? 20%. If someone told you that you had a 20% chance of living another day, would be a grim diagnosis. So put that into perspective when you think about how long it should take to conceive. 20% chance each cycle if there are no issues or complications, and if you're under 35. With that statistic, it could take up to five months to conceive. I think this is important to know because we have this idea that we get what we want when we want it, because that's what society tells us. We think it's so easy, no one tells you it might not be. A couple with no issues could take five months to conceive. Those jokes and expectations of the honeymoon baby, the data does not support that expectation. To get started, I want to talk about understanding what infertility is. Infertility is defined as the inability to conceive on natural cycles after one year of trying for a woman who's under 35 and six months for a woman that is over 35. You add in weight, medical conditions, environment, stress levels, and hereditary issues, along with other factors and that time frame increases. This is really important to understand. It can take up to a year sometimes. I think we often confuse infertility with not getting pregnant when we want. Some people think after a few months they have infertility, and maybe they do, but they forget there are staggering statistics around the reality of how long it can take even if everything is working the way it should. And as we get older, those numbers increase. Dr. Alice Domar from the Department of Obstetrics, Gynecology and Reproductive Biology of the Harvard Medical School wrote an article on the connection between stress and fertility. And it begins with drawing attention to the fact that women who are struggling to conceive report feelings of depression, anxiety, isolation, and loss of control. Depression levels in patients with infertility have been compared with patients who have been diagnosed with cancer. The inability to reproduce naturally can cause feelings of shame, guilt, and low self-esteem. These negative feelings may lead to varying degrees of depression, anxiety, distress, and a poor quality of life. Most of you guys already know this because you've experienced it. But just a reminder this is not an easy journey, and you have nothing to be ashamed of. And you do need to take care of yourself and your partner's mental well being. Back to the 101. There is another form of infertility referred to as secondary infertility. Now, I'm going to stress this is very real and can be just as painful and stressful as primary infertility. I think it's often overlooked because people think, well, oh, you have one or two kids, you're not infertile, or be thankful you have one child. But we need to remember this journey is about the family you desire, you crave, you pray for, and wish for, and being denied a child, even if you already have one, is devastating. The Mayo Clinic defines secondary infertility as the inability to become pregnant or to carry a baby to term after previously giving birth to a baby. Secondary infertility shares many of the same causes of primary infertility, And maintains that if you're younger than 35 and don't become pregnant after six months or you're older 35 and don't become pregnant after a year, you are in fact experiencing secondary infertility. Secondary infertility can be caused by um, poor sperm function in men, fallopian tube damage, complications related, related to prior surgery or pregnancy, and other risk factors such as weight and use of certain medications. A third common form of infertility is unexplained infertility. This is where everything appears normal. There's no known issues. Everyone's checking out. Typically, it's attributed to women under 35 who are having an active sex life and no issues are being presented. My heart breaks for people that are given an unexplained infertility diagnosis. It's brutal. When there's an issue, you have something to work with. Even if the diagnosis is grim, at least you know. Not knowing is cruel, it's heartbreaking and frustrating, but it's real and very often people are classified as having unexplained infertility. A few quick words about male infertility. First of all, it is a thing and it's mainly about sperm quality and quantity. It could be low sperm count or poor quality. And that is sometimes crudely referred to as slow swimmers, not my phrase. There are some things that can aid in improving sperm quality, but the point here is that if you're being tested and treated for infertility, don't forget to look at the male component. Remember a third of infertility cases are due to male factors. I'm going to take a look at miscarriage and a few common types of pregnancy loss. Miscarriage is the spontaneous loss of a pregnancy before the 20th week. It's also called a spontaneous abortion. The first time I heard that phrase, I was horrified. But it's an actual medical term used synonymously with miscarriage. It seems cruel. It is cruel, but back to the numbers, which aren't really any less cruel. And that's that 10 to 20% of known pregnancies will end in miscarriage, but the actual number is likely higher because many miscarriages occur so early in pregnancy that the woman doesn't realize she's pregnant. A few words here 10 to 20% of known pregnancies. So if we split the difference on that, say 15%, that's one in six and a half of pregnancies. These rates get higher as you get older. After the 20th week, the loss is considered a stillborn. There are two other pregnancy losses that you might hear of. One is a chemical pregnancy, and a chemical pregnancy is a very early pregnancy loss that happens when an egg is fertilized but never fully implants. So your body responds, but there's no pregnancy. The only sign of a chemical pregnancy is a late period, and you'll only know if you had that pregnancy loss if you had taken a very early pregnancy test. Another type of pregnancy loss is called ectopic pregnancy. Normally, a fertilized egg attaches to the lining of the uterus. An ectopic pregnancy occurs when the fertilized egg implants and grows outside of the uterus. An ectopic pregnancy most often occurs in the fallopian tubes. And this type of ectopic pregnancy is called a tubal pregnancy. And sometimes the ectopic pregnancy occurs in other areas of the body, such as the ovary, uh, abdominal cavity, or the cervix. And an ectopic pregnancy cannot proceed... The fertilized egg can't survive and the growing tissues may cause life-threatening bleeding if left untreated. Another term you might hear on this journey is childlessness. This is one people don't always understand. I'm childless. I do not have children. Childlessness is different than child-free. Child-free, I describe as several others do, is choosing not to have children. Childless is when you do not have children due to circumstance. This could be from infertility or if you're single and have not had the option to conceive. There's a wonderful movement called Childless Not By Choice. There's actually a magazine called Childless Not By Choice and a great blog called Not So Mommy if you want to learn a little bit more about living a childless life. I'm going to take a few look at some other common terms you might encounter on this journey. TTC. You might hear that or see that. It means trying to conceive and it's a term you'll probably hear a lot. If you Google TTC, you will find a slew of boards, blogs, and comments. Fair warning. While it's helpful to learn more and find others that have similar issues, I found a lot of the TTC boards to have a lot of misinformation and the comments can be brutal. And try not to read too much. It's a breeding ground for misaligned expectations and can often lead to dangerous comparisons with no real results. In hindsight, it was far more damaging for me to spend hours searching TTC boards than to do anything else. Something else you'll hear frequently is a drug called Clomid. And it's a follicle-stimulating drug often prescribed to women to increase their chances of conception. It has major impacts on your hormones. And while there is a lot of success with women who use the drug, it can also make you highly emotional. I actually had to stop taking it because I became a bit of a monster when I was on it. This leads us to the term ART, A-R-T, or Assisted Reproductive Technologies. And I'm going to reference two common ARC techniques here, which is an IUI and an IUF. IUI is interuterine insemination, and it's when sperm is collected and inserted directly into the woman during her fertile w- window. This can be problematic for Catholics as the sperm is collected through the man masturbating in order to collect the sample. There are other methods of collection that involve a perforated condom, but I am not an expert on Catholic fertility treatments. I just know a few of the highlights. There's a great book out there called The Infertility Companion for Catholics, Spiritual and Practical Support for Couples by Carmen Santamaria and Angelic Rui Lopez. I'm not sure I pronounced her name right, I'm sorry, but I highly recommend this book. It has great insights, guidance, stories, and prayers. My copy is beaten, battered, well-loved with lots of dog ears and highlights. There's also a pamphlet on ascensionpress.com called Infertility and Reproductive Technologies, A Guide for Catholics. I've not read this pamphlet, I actually just ordered it, but I can only assume it's excellent because everything Ascension Press puts out is excellent. IVF is another one you will hear and it is in vitro fertilization. It's different than an IUI, this is where shots are used. You are then medically assisted as they prepare the egg to be removed from the woman. The egg is fertilized outside of the body and the best embryos are put back into the woman for implantation. Again, problematic for Catholics due to the sperm collection and arguably more so because of the embryos that are not used. They are disregarded, discarded and as Catholics, we believe that life begins at conception. So those embryos are lives that are being discarded. There's a discussion and debate on what if the embryos are saved and provided for other women. Um, you know, if they're preserved indefinitely. But at the end of the day, this is really not a great option for practicing Catholics. Now, studies vary, but IVF success rates vary from as high as 46% in women under 35 to as low as 8% in women over 40. Another thing to know about IVF is the cost around it is around $20,000 per cycle. That means your first chance, if it doesn't work, you're at 20 grand. There's some programs out there to help the finances of it, but it is extremely expensive for very minimal success rates. I think there's a big misperception that IVF is the cure-all. you know, that everyone will come away with a baby if they go through the IVF process, and it's simply not true. Um, Plus, another reason IUI and IVF are not a Catholic approach is because they both remove the marital act of sex. Again, not an expert, just trying to provide some insight on both sides. Another option you might hear about is timed intercourse with triggering shots. This is where you go to a doctor have an ultrasound, they take a look at your ovaries, see if you have any follicles, and then they give um, you have to give yourself a shot at an appropriate time a few days later, and then time intercourse to maximize your chances. It's a fairly natural method, um, but you get probed and you have to give yourself shots, and that is not nearly as much fun as it sounds. This brings me to Napro. And NAPRO stands for Natural Procreative Technologies. It is probably the most ideal method for Catholics, but you might also be surprised to learn it has equal if not higher chances of success compared to IVF. NAPRO technologies seek to find the underlying issues and correct them as naturally as possible to provide the best chances for natural conception. That's the short version. I strongly recommend doing your own research on NAPRO and the Creighton model for natural fertility care, and seek out a specialist. In certain areas of the country, this can prove to be extremely difficult, but don't get discouraged. They're out there. Uh, You might have to travel a little bit further, but you can find NAPRO doctors. In an article on verilymag.com, I learned that according to one of the largest scale studies done on the efficacy of NAPRO technology, more than 60% of NAPRO patients were pregnant within two years of beginning treatment, and 70% were pregnant within three years of treatment. The article also shared that smaller studies have seen similar results. An article from the American Medical Association Journal of Ethics concluded that though achieving a live birth with NAPRO technologies may take longer, it does have a greater chance of occurring than with IVF. These numbers tell me that if we wait, diagnose the issue, and work in a natural way to heal our bodies, we have just as much of a chance, if not slightly higher, to conceive naturally than we do with invasive and costly medical procedures. But a lot of women, even Catholic women, don't know about Napro. I didn't, and I wish I had. Another term that you're gonna come across on your journey is charting, also referred to as BBT. Or basal body temperature. And it's where you chart your temperature the moment you wake up, monitor your cervical mucus changes, and you chart all of these things. And after a few months, you determine a baseline that will tell you if, when you're ovulating, what your fertile, and what your fertile window is. It's a lot like natural family planning, but charting can be helpful in determining if you're ovulating. You can ha- let your doctor see if you're having any patterns where they can identify an issue. Sometimes an increase in progesterone or estrogen at the right time can be all the corrective measure you need, and charting can help you identify that as well as other issues. So if you're having healthy cycles, it might be time to have your partner checked if your chart's telling you that everything is in alignment for you. It's another benefit of charting. Just a side note here, (laughs) a major pet peeve of mine is how TV and movies depict infertility. I watched a show not too long ago with my husband and one of the characters said, I had an infertility test and it came back negative. This is not a thing. My husband and I busted out laughing because we were like, are you kidding me? There's no one infertility test. It's a process. You know, maybe, maybe you can get diagnosed with that one pinpoint thing that's an issue, but often it's a process of elimination few more common terms you might encounter. Endometriosis. I have what's considered stage four endometriosis or endo as it's often referred to. And endometriosis is a disease. There's no cure. It's when your uterine tissue grows outside of your uterus. It causes infertility, painful periods, painful sex, and inflammation it can only truly be diagnosed through a surgery called laparoscopy, where the doctor goes in and removes the lesions. I've had two laparoscopies for this, and it is not a pleasant experience. Another fun fact about endo is it can grow into various areas of your body, including your lungs, which I've had one doctor assess that I have. It's an incredibly sharp pain in my lung around ovulation. And when I say incredibly sharp, I mean it feels like there is a knife in my lung, um, but basically, endo wreaks havoc on your body. Uh, it can be anything from mild discomfort to excruciating pain. I've had endo flare-ups that leave me lying on the floor trying to breathe because it's that painful. It's also very common. Another leading cause of infertility that you'll hear about is PCOS, and it stands for polycystic ovarian syndrome. It's a hormonal disorder and women with PCOS may have infrequent or prolonged menstrual cycles um, and excess male hormones. The ovaries may develop numerous small collections of follicles and fail to regularly release eggs, so it makes ovulation and pregnancy incredibly difficult. It can cause weight gain and facial hair growth. I've also been diagnosed with PCOS and have While I don't actually have many of the classic symptoms, uh, I do have PCOS. So double whammy for me. But there are also, you know, there's so many other issues that we can encounter and obstacles to navigate. This is not an easy journey. Some will go on to conceive and build the family they dream of. Some will have one child and never be able to conceive again. Some will have several miscarriages in between children. And some will never conceive. The point is, sadly, some of us will struggle. We will fight and claw to get a child. And maybe you never get one. Maybe you adopt or foster, maybe you remain childless. But what I want people to know, I want to educate people on the realities so they can manage expectations, know what to look for and make well-informed choices. And this is just a high level 101 but it's important to be educated on the facts. It's important to know your options. And if you're Catholic, those options are different. But being a Catholic is easy, said no one ever. If you're listening to this podcast, you're struggling, or you know someone who is, or you're ministering to couples who are struggling, or maybe you just really like me and want to support this effort. And for that, I thank you. Knowledge is power and knowledge is control. And when we have a little bit of control and insight we can create the space to heal. I hope this episode was enlightening for you, that you learned something, and that in that enlightenment, you were able to find some forward healing. Join me next week for a special guest interview. I'll be joined by Fran Borders from the Calvary Cemetery here in Lexington, Kentucky, and we are going to discuss the importance of burial and burial ceremonies for miscarried babies. Thank you for listening. Our Lady of Sorrows, pray for us.